We will now have a reading from God's Word. Our reading this morning is from Psalm chapter 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. But be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning, y'all. Good to see you. My name is Steve. Uh, I am the lead pastor here at Trailhead, and um, it's good to see you. It's been a little while. I am uh, uh, coming back from my sabbatical. My sabbatical was incredible. This is uh, the first time I've um, opened the Word to preach in three months, and uh, um, you know, it was awesome. My sabbatical was a time of rest uh, in ways that, that I like to rest, which means it was full of activity and motion and um, crazy adventures with people I love. So as I was coming to this week, I, I just had to pick a passage. Uh, we're going to be getting back into Romans uh, after Labor Day. I'm really looking forward to Romans 7. I cannot tell you. But um, I didn't want to start that and then walk away and then come back. And so I picked uh, Psalm 46 for this one when I told Lauren uh, which passage I picked, what psalm. Uh, she was like, why did you pick that psalm? Um, I don't know if you noticed, it's, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a heavy, uh, it, it, and I'm like, I don't know, I really don't know, I mean, this is, I don't, I'll just blame the Spirit, uh, I sat down and was like, Lord, what am I going to preach, and, and literally, this is the psalm that just jumped out at me, and I'm like, excited to open it up with you, I do think it is timely, uh, we are living in a time of continued upheaval and suffering, and fear, of war, I mean, anxiety, man. We're an anxious culture anyway. We're a culture addicted to anxiety. We love our anxiety, honestly. We, we tend to get bored if we don't have low-level anxiety at all times. But, but during a season like this, man, anxiety is ramped up to the point that it exhausts us. Like even those of you who, who kind of enjoy the stress of, of always, it, you get fatigued, right? We have a culture that is full of mistrust. We're, we're walking around all the time side-eyeing each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, are you one of them? Which team are you on? Right? Where, where do you stand? Where, um, and it doesn't help. I mean, it's so much incredible suffering in the world. I mean, every week there are news reports of new, overwhelming, catastrophic things, right? The earthquake in Haiti recently, man, heartbreaking. Thousands of people died. The loss of, of, of internal infrastructure and the ability to care for those who survive. The suffering is, is insane, right? Violence again, surging in places like Myanmar where civilians are just being slaughtered once again. In Afghanistan. What a complete mess. What a complete mess. 
humanitarian crisis, political crisis, um, uh, the images coming across to us of, of the evacuations. And I mean, it's, it, it breaks my heart. And then domestically, right? It, we're a mess too, right? We're halfway through the second year of this pandemic. Right? As a result, things are a mess. There's stress at work. There's stress in our neighborhoods. There's stress in our marriages. People are tired. Things that that used to be solid are crumbling around us. The job market is volatile. Communities and, and families just stressed about everything. And we're politicizing everything. Everything becomes a battleground. Everything becomes an ideological battleground of extreme proportions, right? It, it, it's ridiculous and exhausting. This morning, I want to remind you, first of all, of one thing. that Nothing that I've told you is new. There's nothing new about any of this. It's new to us. And the current iteration is new to our experience. But all we're describing is what has been universally true of the human experience from the beginning. This is life in this broken world. It is full of anxiety. Brokenness keeps breaking. Um, Good people keep doing bad things. Bad people keep doing bad things. Goodness shines, but often feels like it's going to be swallowed by the darkness. There are moments of peace surrounded by seasons of upheaval, turbulence, and unpredictability. This is true internationally. This is true historically. It's true politically. And it is true personally in our lives as well. I don't know what your current situation is. I don't know what's causing you anxiety. I don't know what's draining your energy. But I'm guessing there's something. Because life is turbulent and life is unpredictable. And when the ground gives way, like not just a little bit of shaking, but when the ground gives way, the question I want us to look at this morning is where do we find our security? How do we remain secure in an insecure world? How do we keep our footing when everything around us is shifting and giving way? That's what our psalmist is exploring. Take a look at verses 1 through 3 with me in Psalm 46. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in trouble. If we stopped right there, man, we could just be good. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 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 I totally agree with that. All these wonderful truths, right? Therefore, we will not fear. Okay, if we stopped there, I'd still be good, right? But it keeps going. I will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble. At its swelling. Okay, yeah, that, that was a little hard to follow. Right? It's like psalmist, yeah, yeah, wait. Not sure I can go with you there. I mean, not with integrity, not with honesty, right? The, the, the psalmist begins with this beautiful declaration of truth that God is our refuge, that God is our strength, that God is our present help in time of need. And that word present can mean proven or present. Like, like he's here and, and, and he's got a track record. And I would say and I would affirm that's all true. Like, like, 
I have found God to be my refuge. I have found God to be my strength. I have found God to be my present and well-proven help in time of need. And my favorite testimonies of God's strength are the ones where he met me in my past suffering. You know what I'm saying? It gets a little harder when it's about the present suffering. (laughs) That's when things get a little shakier. Like, it's easy for me to look back and say, yeah, God's been faithful, and, and, and it gets a little harder when it's present, right? These are things that we know are true, but there's a huge gap between what we know to be true and even what we've experienced to be true in the past and what feels true in the present. Am I the only one? I find myself continually having to rediscover, right? That's why verse 2 can feel so ridiculous, right? The psalmist strings together some of the most frightening imagery I can think of, like standing on the peak of a mountain. I spent a lot of time this summer on mountains. On on top of Half Dome, i got to tell you, there were certain ledges that I climbed out onto that, that I was very, like... The only reason I had the bravery to do it was those those thin pieces of granite jutting out over a 5,800 foot drop had been there forever. Well, as long as I can remember. And a lot of other people climbed out on them and nothing happened, right? So you're just like, okay, if it supported that guy, it can support me. You know what I'm saying? I can't imagine being up there and everything shifting and falling when the ground gives way. When what was secure becomes insecure. When what was fixed becomes unfixed. And not only that, the psalmist pictures it not just as as being on the mountain, on this precipice, in this point of instability, but suddenly now you are surrounded by water, foaming, dark, turbulent water. So it's not just about keeping your footing. It's about not falling into that churning undertow of death. So you're standing there. The earth starts melting away into this churning, foaming water. He describes the noise as deafening and the water as as spitting up in its destruction. And you're sliding down the mountain. There's there's a scene in, in the movies of Lord of the Rings. It's one of the most ridiculous scenes in the entire series, one of the dumbest, uh, where Legolas is in a battle and he throws his shield down and he jumps on top of it and he surfs his shield down into the raging battle below, shooting arrows. and It's ridiculous, but that's how I almost picture the psalmist describing us sliding down into the darkness of the foaming chaos below us. And the psalmist seems to be painting a picture, a very similar picture, where, where everything's melting into destruction all around us. The world is giving way. Everything's melting into the sea. And we're at peace. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like Legolas smiling on his way down. We're like, yeah, this is happening. I'm cool with this. A little earthquake action. A little foaming destruction coming to swallow me. Yeah, I'm... I'm, uh, I'm there, I, therefore I will not fear, though the earth gives way. I don't know about you, but I, I, that feels really, really far away to me. That feels really far away. Suffering. Suffering. Um, what the psalmist is describing is the manifold effects of suffering in our lives. Suffering causes us to feel um, at risk 
instead of safe. Suffering comes in and, and, and shakes what we thought was firm. Suffering comes in and threatens everything we thought made us secure, right? And, and, and suffering comes dressed in all kinds of clothing and none of it is, is pleasant. There are three specific ways in which suffering enters our lives, right? I got picked up this, gleaned this insight, which I thought was actually really helpful from um, Paul Miller's The J-Curve, um, a book that I've recommended in the past. But he, he describes that there are a number of things that introduce us into this experience of death that can then lead us into the experience of resurrection, which is the J-Curve, death to resurrection. Um, and I thought it was in, insightful, right? Because sometimes the suffering comes into our lives by our own choices. We're like that, right? Sometimes we're dumb. Sometimes we make the wrong choices. Sometimes we, we choose to say things we shouldn't say or do things we shouldn't do or act in ways we shouldn't act or respond in ways that are inappropriate. And, and so we bring suffering into our own lives through the result of choices we have made. And in the moment, those choices seem perfectly reasonable. In the moment, those choices felt like they were going to actually bring us into fuller and, 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 and a deeper experience of life. But, but we were momentarily insane. Right, blinded by our lust or blinded by a false hope or blinded by uh, an, a sense of personal outrage and self-righteousness and not really thinking about the consequence of our words or our actions. And as a result, we unleash suffering. And often when we do that, we unleash suffering not just in our own lives, but in the lives of others. There's suffering that's brought into our lives through the acts of others. When, when somebody else is caught up in their momentary self-righteous outrage, we become uh, the victim, in a sense, of, of their lashing out, right? We become blamed or, or hurt or, or evil. People do evil things, right? People misuse power. People violate trust. People betray our confidence. People, people do things that, that put us at risk emotionally or even physically, or sometimes worse, somebody we love. Somebody that we feel a deep responsibility to protect. And we find that their safety has been violated by the actions of others. Suffering brought into our lives through the actions of others. And there's suffering that just comes in because we live in a broken world. And in a broken world, things keep breaking. And there are random things that you get caught up in, whether it is a, a natural catastrophe or an unforeseen turn in the market, um, or uh, any number of things that, uh, that come together to magnify, to magnify suffering. Now here's the thing, is, is very seldom is our suffering just from one of these things. Normally it's a combination of multiple. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it could be that somebody did something and then we responded poorly. It could be that something bad happened, like in Haiti, and then evil people took opportunity to do evil things in the absence of structure and authority. It could be a combination of all three. When that suffering gets let loose in our life, when that pain sets in, when, when the things, when the consequences of our choices or the results of other people's choices or, or the things break around us what's your first response for things going wrong i know for myself it's often very negative i get frustrated on a initial level if it's minor i hate it when things go wrong 
I hate it when things don't go to plan. I hate it when, when things I thought, I thought I could count on, I, I can't count on. Shame? I don't know about you. I struggle with shame quite a bit. That, that exposure. When things go wrong, I feel like I'm going to be exposed as having been a failure or not have been enough. Uh, I feel exposed in my weakness. Even if it's not just about being caught, it's just, I hate not being enough. I I hate not being strong enough or talented enough or smart enough to do what I need to do or to protect the people I want to protect or accomplish what I want to accomplish. I, I feel anger, sometimes violent, bubbling up rage at this world, at myself, at, at people. What comes out of that anger is often blame, finding fault in others, um, self-critique or self-attack, despising myself and the weaknesses that I can't seem to get rid of. Fear. Oh man, the anxiety. The fear that not only has this gone wrong, but what's next? That shoe drop, where's the next one going to drop? They did this, what are they going to do next? They said that, what are they going to say next? That thing happened, what else is going to happen? I have this really weird recurring nightmare. I probably shouldn't tell you about it. I just remembered it. But it happens. I have this weird dream. Like, literally. I have this dream. I probably shouldn't tell you. Um, I have this dream that, that I killed somebody. And I buried their body. And I'm afraid somebody's going to find it. Because when they find it, I'm going to be exposed. And when I get exposed, everything is going to fall, around, fall down around me. My, my Lauren's going to leave me. My kids are going to despise me. The church is going to reject me. I'm going to be left alone, isolated, exposed. And, and I'm always left in this conflict in the dream. Do I, do I confess that I murdered somebody and go dig up the body? Or do I keep hiding it? Um, do I, and then I wake up. And it's like, did I really kill somebody? Like, is this a repressed memory? Did I like, did I do that? I don't know why I keep having it. Anyway, so yeah, anxiety. You know what I'm saying? Like, like unaccountable. It's just, but it's, it's this instability. It's this fear of, you know, even when things aren't going wrong, it's the fear of things going wrong. And then when they do, the, the negative things that come in, the critique, the self-protection, the blaming and attacking others, the need to find a bad guy, the, the, it, it, it just starts compounding. When, when our world gives way, when our world starts to shake, how do we deal with a world that's falling apart without falling apart ourselves? Right? How do we get to the point where we know, um, what we, what we know to be true about God? actually informs our heart's response to what's happening in the world around us. How do we bridge the gap between what we know and what we feel and what we experience? Jump to the end of the psalm because I want you to take a look at some verses at the end of Psalm 46. Um, The psalm is bookended where the psalmist basically gives us the same idea at the beginning and the end of the psalm, but he does it with a different emphasis and a different focus, right? So if we jump to the the end of the psalm, take a look at verses... um, 10 and 11, what we're going to see here is, 
is the psalmist is going to expose the critical problem that is keeping us from entering into this truth, right? Verse 10 and verse 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God. All right, this is our our critical problem. This is why it's so hard for us to feel what we know, for us to experience what we, what we hold to as true. The critical problem is this, that suffering reminds us that we aren't God and that we aren't in control. And we hate to be reminded that we're not God. We hate to be reminded that we're not in control. We, we spend almost all of our time creating the illusion that we're in control and that we're safe because we are. We spend most of our time trying to construct a life in which we do not feel risk. In which we do not feel exposed. Whether that is surrounding us ourselves with specific relationships or having enough money in the bank or having a specific kind of home or, or having a certain kind of job or income or, or having a certain kind of appearance or living in certain kinds of neighborhoods or avoiding other kinds. We spend most of our time trying to create an illusion in which we can feel like God. We don't like to feel helpless. We don't like to feel exposed. We don't like to feel like we are at risk, like we can't take care of ourselves, right? That is our critical problem, right? How do I get that out of, out of these passages, right? Well, verse 10. <laughs> um, how hard is it for you to obey this command when things are going wrong? Be still. Just be still. The New American Standard translates this. Stop striving. Stop striving. Stop grasping. Why are we striving? When things go wrong, why do we have this anxious need to kick into action? Why do we have this churning need? Because it is our desire to get back into this position in which the illusion of control is restored. We hate feeling exposed in our weakness. And so we strive and we churn and we turn people into enemies who make us feel threatened. And we turn events into into problems if they make us feel weak. Be still. Stop striving. Verses 10 and 11, the psalmist is approaching the same exact thing he talked about in verses 1 through 3, but instead of focusing on everything that's going wrong, he's focusing on the God who's got everything right. Instead of focusing on everything that is falling apart in our lives, he is focusing on the God who is still in control over our lives. Instead of focusing on the storm that is threatening to swallow us, he is focusing on the God who is over the storm and is waiting for us on the other side. And he says, be still. Stop striving. Stop trying to be God, and instead know that I am God. Step away from your need. That's our critical problem. Our critical problem is is we really resent that we're not God. We do. 
I want to know everything. I want to be in control of everything. I don't want to be threatened. I want my glory to be established. And I wouldn't mind if everyone just bowed down and did what I said. Right? That, that's really what it comes down to. Right? If we're honest about our heart of hearts and what we really want, right? We, we want the ability to predict the market. I want every investment to pay off. I want every decision to be the right one. I want every move I make to lead me into greater security, greater flourishing, and greater power. And I want everyone to know it. I want my glory to be sung among the nations. That's why we hate suffering. Not just because it hurts, but because it reminds us that we're not God. We are men and women of dust. Mud men, mud women, pretending that we are not just created in the image of God, but are in fact God. Be still. Be still. Stop striving. And know that I am God. When the world turns topsy-turvy, when, when the floor becomes the ceiling and the ceiling becomes the floor, when, when things that we thought were solid um, lose their solidity, man, we feel exposed, we feel vulnerable, we feel at risk. What's the solution? Instead of trying to regain a sense of control, we need to grow in our faith in the God who is in control. Right? If we don't want the churning out there to become churning in here, the solidity of understanding that we are the creatures and He is the Creator, that, that we are secure because He is powerful, that, that our faith isn't just about us getting to the, the sweet by and by, but that His power and His security meet me in the gritty here and now. Our faith has to be real. So God, speaking through the psalmist, says, be still, cease striving to be in control, rest, rest. Even in the storm, rest. Knowing that I am God, that I will be exalted among the nations, among every ethnic group and every tribe, every, every culture, I will be exhausted. Rest because I've got this. Rest because I've got you. Don't trust your eyes, don't trust your strength, don't trust your capacity, and don't panic because you're not me. Trust me, he says, trust me, I am the Lord of hosts, I am your fortress. So now it all seems easy, right? Just stop striving. That's the, that's the right solution, isn't it? Right? Okay, let's be honest, how does that work? You like that? You like feeling all anxious and uptight and someone's like, you know, you just need to relax. You know, I never thought of that. I am so thankful for your helpful advice. Like, I am so uptight with anxiety, and I just didn't think about the fact that all I had to do was relax. Thanks for that advice. It kind of how it feels sometimes, isn't it? It's like, yeah, just accept the fact that you're not God and let God be God. Yeah, okay, that's easy, right? <laughs> doesn't change the fact that I feel like everything is falling apart around me, and I still am not in control. All right, you ever been in that moment? Where the turmoil is raging, where the foaming waters are coming to engulf you, at least that's how it feels. Wouldn't it be nice if in that moment you could just be like, yeah, hmm. I remember what Steve said. He said the critical problem is that I'm trying to be God. 
I'll just stop doing that thing. I'll stop doing that thing and I'll start doing this thing. I'll just remember God is God. Yeah, woo, everything's so much better. Right, wouldn't it be nice if it was that, that simple? See, the problem, here's the thing, it's not just knowing. The deepest needs of our heart aren't met in knowing the right things. You know that, right? You don't solve your deepest heart problems by getting the right information into your head. Knowing the right things does not meet your deepest heart needs. Because you know what your deepest heart need is for? Not just knowing the right things, but experiencing love. There is only one thing that can give you a sense of security in a time of turmoil. And that is knowing that you are loved by the God who's in control. Not just that he's in control. And not just knowing it in your head, but actually experiencing it. You need to have a renewed experience of the grace of God. You need to actually have your heart undone. You need to be melted once again by the fact that God, the creator God of the universe, the sovereign God of the universe, the one who is in control of all things, loves you. We need a response of the heart that can calm the churning of the heart. We need more than just the knowledge that God is in control. We need to be reminded that the God is in control loves us. Even in the storm. That He's over the storm, that He's waiting for us on the other side. And that's why we need streams that make the heart glad. Take a look back up at verses 4-9. through nine. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. And you're like, that doesn't sound encouraging. It is really encouraging when you realize that what He's saying is bringing desolation on the things that bring desolation. He's destroying the things that destroy. He is exerting the strength of justice over injustice. He brings desolations on the earth. How do we see that play out? He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Every tool devised by man for destruction is destroyed by the God over the man who created them. He burns the chariots with fire. There is a water that destroys that churning, dark, turbulent water of anxiety, of fear, of anger of our attempt to be God when we're not, right? But there is a river that makes glad the city of God. Now that language seems a little foreign to us. It may not feel particularly familiar. Um, But the holy habitation of the Most High, the city of God, while it is speaking of Jerusalem and it is speaking of the temple, metaphorically it is speaking of the covenant people of God. Right? You don't have to go on a hermitage to Jerusalem to get this. You just have to be a follower of Christ. You just have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are part of the covenant people of God. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are brought by the power of God uh, into the covenant that he has created to redeem and restore and you are part of uh, the city of God, right? And this metaphorical city 
which is the people, the covenant people of God, has a metaphorical river that flows into it. Um, and it is a river that makes glad. What is this stream that flows into the people of God, that flows into this covenant community, that refreshes and, and brings joy and, and, and makes, it gives joy. In the ancient Near East, um, a river was a source of blessing, right? A well, if there was a well or a river, often entire settlements would develop around it because it was a source of life in an arid land. And if there was a good river, uh, it was a source of life, right? That river would bring uh, vitality and life and, and blessing, right? And that river made glad because that river brought life to a parched and arid uh, uh, environment. This river flows into our parched and arid hearts. It, it, it waters the faith. It makes it come alive and helps us grow to experience what we know to be true. It nourishes and renews our strength and it restores our fruitfulness. You know, the, the, we need to sit by the river that makes glad and drink deeply of it. The, the river that makes glad, honestly, is the river of God's favor. As you read through this passage, you, you hear about him standing up for those uh, that are his people, bringing destruction on those who destroy and bringing his power to bear on, on the misuse of power. It is the favor of God. It is the unconditional love of God in relation to his covenant people. It is grace, never ending, never failing river of love. Listen, y'all, we not, may not be in control of our own stories, but we know the God who is in control of all stories. The one who's telling a better story for all of history, for all of humanity, and for each one of us individually. A story of redemption and restoration. And that God who is telling a better story for all of humanity and is telling a better story for you is pouring out His grace as a never-ending river. He pours out His love. And a never-ending flow, as John says, the beginning of the gospel, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That is God's posture toward you. That is His motion toward you, child of God. Never-ending love, never-ending grace, never-ending acceptance. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to merit it. You don't have to wait until you fix yourself or, or fix somebody else. You are not secure because you deserve to be secure. You are secure because He loves you. You weren't brought into the family of God because you deserved it or merited it or because you did something that somehow made you worthy of God's love. You were brought in because God loved you in your sin, in your brokenness. This is the wonder of the gospel. God loves the ungodly. And He pours out His grace on the undeserving. And it is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It is when we humble ourselves to receive the outpouring of this infinite love that the churning of our hearts is calmed. And what we know to be true about God in our heads becomes the experience of what is true about God in our hearts. The God who will make wars to cease, who will break the bow and shatter the spear, and I'm sorry, even destroy your gun collections and mine. The God who will melt down and destroy every weapon devised by man, no matter how curiously wrought or how powerful. He, he is the God who surrounds us like a fortress. 
and offers us a protection we can never protect ourselves. A God who, who, who does for us what we cannot devise to do for ourselves. We cannot work to do for ourselves. We are not accomplished enough to do for ourselves. His love does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Y'all, we need to sit at that river. We need to sit at that river, the river that makes glad. The river that that nourishes the soul, the river of God's favor. We need to remind ourselves of our need. We need to remind ourselves of the God who meets us in our need. We need to allow that grace to, to once again melt our pride and calm our fear. We need to allow that grace to, to erase our need to prove ourselves. To humble ourselves. Let me, let me give you examples, right? Let's say your suffering is the result of a bad choice you've made. You want to know what the worst choice you can make at that moment is? More bad choices to cover up the bad choice you made. To keep making bad choices. To somehow protect yourself by pretending you never made a bad choice to begin with. The river that makes glad invites you to come receive grace. The only thing that keeps you from, from receiving grace to be delivered from the suffering you have brought into your own life or into the life of others is your lack of humility. You need to be humble enough to come and simply say, I need grace. I need forgiveness. I need to be loved. I don't feel like I even deserve it right now. I feel far away, but the river comes to me. I don't go to the river. It flows through the covenant people of God. I simply need to humble myself to receive it. If someone has harmed me or hurt me, said hurtful things about me, attacked me, or in other ways brought their suffering into my life through their bad choices, God's grace doesn't necessarily take away the consequence of their evil immediately. He will eventually. But he meets you in it to deliver you from, from the insidiousness of what that will do to your heart. Often the worst thing that happens when, when we suffer at the hands of others is we allow them to then take captive of our hearts. We, we create this prison of unforgiveness toward them, but really that, that lack of, of generosity of grace imprisons ourselves. And the only person in that prison is ourselves. The prison of our imagination, the prison of our hearts where we hold on to this resentment and, 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 and this grumbling and this bitterness and all we're doing is destroying ourselves from the inside out as we swallow cancer in the hope that it'll destroy another. When the world is falling around apart around us, when, when things are out of control, we come to the river that makes glad and it renews our confidence that there is a God even over the random events of this world. That I'm no less secure when things are going bad than I was when everything was going well. It it allows me to be confident. Not because I'm in control or things are good, but because God is good and He is in control. We need to come to the river that makes glad. We need to come to the foot of the cross and to the empty tomb to be reminded that we have a God who loves us so much that He took our place in judgment so that we could be delivered from that judgment. And then he rose from the dead, inviting us in to a kingdom of resurrection, reminding us that what is in this world is not all there is of this world, that what is is not all there is, that there is a greater story. One of the drawbacks of living in a, in a country that has so much blessing and so much, so much security and, and so much affluence is we are tempted to think that we need to get our best life now. That if we don't have all the security right now, we're then insecure that we've missed out on the fullness and blessing of life. 
When the reality is the blessings of this life are simply supposed to be appetizers, awakening us in greater desire for the blessings to come. Because our greatest security is still being delivered to us in the kingdom of God. Death is not the end of our story. And if even this world destroys our bodies, you can't, this world cannot destroy the blessing that God has given us. We need to come sit at the river that makes glad. Y'all, let me close with some word of prayer. And um, then we're going to share communion. And um, I would invite you to come back. After second service, we're actually going to be having some baptisms today, which is a real blast. And uh, but let me pray for us, and then we'll move into our time of response as we respond to God through sharing communion and, um, and through singing and worship. Father, we thank you that you have not abandoned us, that you haven't left us, that, that you are not put off by us, even as we're striving to be you, even as we resent you because we're not you, even as we mistrust you. We resent that, that you're not blessing our story. We get upset that you're not, you're not telling my story the way I want my story to be told when you're telling a better story. Lord, I know that our deepest heart need is to be reawakened by your love, to allow our pride to be humbled, our fear to be silenced, our shame to be removed, our guilt to be redeemed. And Lord, all of that comes from this river of favor, this river of grace that flows from your heart into our hearts and minds. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that sit at that river, that drink deeply of that grace, to have our minds renewed and our, our hearts renewed. Lord, I pray for my friends right now that are sitting in seasons of, of real trial and struggle whether it is, it is anxiety that comes from living in an insecure world where there's so much suffering. Pray for my friends who um, are dealing with ruptured friendships, loss of trust, crumbling of marriages. Or pray for my friends that are dealing with economic instability. And um, uh, maybe the loss of much that they have spent much time trying to build and to gain. Lord, pray for my friends, Spirit, will you meet them in that dark place? Will you meet them in that low place and invite them to cup the water out of the river of your grace? that it might meet their chapped lips and feed their parched souls. And remind them that though the world give way, you are their fortress. Though things fall apart around them, they are secure because their security was never in this world. Will you meet them in their loneliness and their sorrow with your love? And grow their faith.
that they might continue to move forward. Renewed. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us and that you're not a God who is a stranger to our suffering. You entered into it. You tasted it. You drank that bitter cup to its final drop, dying the death we deserve to die, that you might rise again and deliver us into resurrection. We thank you for that love.